to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio, and this is Kim Giles. I am sitting in for Matt today, who is out on a cruise. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really jealous today that that's where oh, Matt gosh. is. Yes. Are you feeling that? As I'm trekking through the snow every day. Yes, yeah. I'm jealous. And he's sitting in the sun with his virgin pina colada at this moment, probably. <laughs> So I kept thinking that's what we really should be talking about today is jealousy. Oh, no kidding. Because I'm feeling it. (laughs) Though as a life coach, I would probably tell you if you're experiencing jealousy that we need to talk about gratitude, which for me is really the cure to jealousy. Yeah. So you picked a good topic. Yeah, because today's topic is gratitude, helping your kids be grateful. And the entitlement culture, I think we're going to... We're really going to touch on this idea our kids kind of have that they should just have all these material things because they just exist. And so, yeah, definitely. And it's it's just kind of this thing where they think that um, parents think that their kids should have these things, too, in a sense. And then the kids just kind of feed off this attitude. Well, these people have it or these people on TV have it. And so I should have it, too. And that. I so was, do you think part of the problem is that the parents are spoiling the kids too much? Uh, definitely, definitely. And I think that by yeah, by spoiling the kids, that's the kids think that that's the norm. They think that that's normal and they don't have the perspective. And I don't think that as like I don't know that an 8-year-old can have the responsibility or the know-how to gain a wider perspective of the world. And so when they that's all they know, of course they'd be entitled. It's and it's partly, get... don't you think, what they see on TV? Oh, definitely. Because I think they see, every kid on TV has money coming off, growing on trees or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, kids on TV have a new outfit every show. Every day. Yeah. Their parents usually aren't around, too, which I always think is interesting that kids kind of roll the roost. And actually, Jessica was pointing this out to me the other day. Yeah. So um, I'm in broadcasting, and we talked about this in one of our classes to be um, – literate with the television that you let your kids watch because they pointed out in my class like that a lot of the parents you see that the parents aren't there and like they're just a nuisance they're in the kids way and they're the kids are doing some crazy adventure and the parents are just you know the ones getting mad at them which you see a lot on tv but they paint the parents as the bad guys stay out of my life and just give me the money to do whatever i want exactly and so the kids see that and they're like Oh, parents are such a bother, you know, and obviously they're the ones that are telling you like, oh, that's probably not good to do. That's good to do. You know, so so they see that in their own lives and then they're thinking, oh, parents are just in my way. So I think you do see that a it lot. It does in create media. an attitude when they spend too much time in fantasy like that. Yeah. And it's I don't sure. think it's good as far as, <laughs> you know, like how how that's instilling in their minds. And that's what they're looking at most. Of the, you know, if they come home and. They watch TV a lot. I think kids probably do. You know, it's a good way to unwind after school. I always watch TV. But I think it's getting worse and worse towards that. Um, there's a show. I don't know if you watch Disney Channel. I don't, but there's I a have show. Kids, so I not. end up having to watch Disney Channel, okay, like so it or do. not. I uh, have some kids, too, or something. No, I don't have kids. <laughs> but my fiance likes to watch Disney Channel a lot. That's what I'm going to use. <laughs> Always blame it on it's, someone yeah, else. Kim, it's not you. He's the only one I have now. <laughs> Anyways, on that show or on that station, there's a show called Ant Farm. Do you know that one? 
I hate that show. I will rag on that show all day long. So what bugs <laughs> so you dumb. about it? But that show is um, about some, I think, I've, I haven't like watched it religiously, but I think it's about like these kid actors who are all on this show and there are absolutely no parents in that show. And they just are having the best life possible because they're on this TV show and they're having all these adventures. But I don't think I've ever seen any parents on that show, which you think of, you know, like 20 years back, the Brady Bunch. It was <laughs> that was all about the, the parents, parents were in the show for <laughs> exactly. sure. So we're doing what they should be parenting. Yeah. So so that was interesting for me because I was like, oh, there's not even any parents on that show. <laughs> so they're just slowly getting cut out of the picture, which. I think, yeah, I think that's an interesting that observation. Yeah. Well, and even even that is that when they do show up, they are appear as like really foolish, like they don't know what's going on, yeah. and they're just like really Dumb. goofy, and yeah, just so like weird. so you can't count count on your parents for any guidance because they apparently know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and they encourage you to get away with things. How many shows have you seen that they're like? Oh, as long as the parents don't find out, we can get away with all this good stuff, you know. And it's always the parents. That's is like the, the bad driving guy. force behind Phineas and Ferb, you know. <laughs> their parents are always gone, it's and they're all true. doing crazy, crazy stuff. And their sisters trying to catch them and show to the parents, but the parents never catch yeah, them because she knows more than the parents. You exactly. Know? Yeah, I like that show. Me that's, too. <laughs> I think that's Dallin's favorite. <laughs> Anyways, so TV is a huge one on that. Another interesting point. Um, kind of just to see how this entitlement culture where it presents comes from itself. yeah well how it presents itself how it makes you know how people kind of are aware of it my parents are university professors and they've been teaching you know for a really long time but one interesting thing that they say um, they often have students doing them to them now which never used to be an issue is that they come in and negotiate their grades on completely bogus ideas like They'll say, I deserve an A, even if they haven't done work, or they'll Because I'm such a nice person, Merritt. I deserve an A (laughs) because I look good and I'm nice. Isn't that enough? Well, and they just, you know, another one was that I've heard stories of students saying to teachers like, well, I got an A, I always get A's, so you need to give me an A. Even, you know, even when they have a record. You don't want to mess up my track record, do you? (laughs) Exactly. So it's about them. It's not about their learning or the process. It's about their ability. So are your parents tough on those kids? Do they they let them get their way or do they stay (laughs) strong? They're pretty nice professors. But when, I mean, when there's no reason for if they haven't done work, then that's, you know, not an issue. If there's a student who's been working super religiously and maybe thought that a question on the test was wrong, then they'll definitely consider that. But if the kid hasn't, then, you know. So they, there's the kind of the responsibility is lost, I guess. So kids think they can have things without the responsibility of taking care of them or of getting to that point in general. So, I mean, the classic example is a cell phone. And I'm sure we're just going to bring it up all over the place today. But kids think, well, I deserve a cell phone. Everybody has cell phones, but That's they the don't have to buy the hearing. cell phone. They don't have to pay for the cell phone but everybody or, has one yeah. and so that's the, the focus is so much on what people have kind of the rank the coolness when really what it should be about is can you responsibly handle a cell phone Are and who's willing, gonna you know? pay for it yeah definitely. actually my kid was really shocked when we explained to him that it's more than just buying the phone at the store you actually have to pay yeah. <laughs> a service to and he's really oh yeah. i thought we just went and got one no and it was hooked up forever yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's he, nice. he's oh 13 
And he'd kind of missed that part. Yeah. That there was more to pay for. So, so do you think a lot of this is the parents' fault? Or I at least think, partly? I mean, maybe yes. media is partly at fault. You know, I think, yeah, media is definitely partly at fault. I don't like to blame everything on the media. I'm studying film, and so that makes me sad. But I'm like, I don't want to be the big bad media that everybody complains about. But yeah, parents definitely do. And I think most of the time, they just have no clue that they're doing it, of course. They think that they're being good parents by doing some of these things that maybe are creating some negative effects that they weren't expecting. Um, One example of that behavior would be to um, reward behaviors that maybe you should just ignore. So like kind of over-rewarding. Like if somebody does something good, that doesn't mean that they... If they clean their bed every day, part of that's just part of being a responsible, you know, family citizen. Yeah, they don't get a special reward for doing things that are just part of being a member of our family. Yeah, so if they take over the dishes and rinse them after dinner, that doesn't really necessitate a reward. That's just part of living in the home. Yeah. My dad always said, "That's your rent. That's you have to do these things." Well, because we you live got in on a house. bad track for a while where our kids wanted to be paid for doing chores because we offered to pay them for some extra chore. Now yeah. every chore, <laughs> they think there should be money coming their way. Yeah, so we had so, to change that. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that's one that is just some things in life you don't get a reward for, and that's just a reality you have to deal with. So. Um, So I have one that will end up being that college kid who's trying to negotiate her grade because my eight-year-old is the biggest negotiator. (laughs) And she's always, okay, so how about this? How about if I do this and you give me that? (laughs) And everything is this trying to manipulate us a little bit to get her way. Yeah, that's so interesting. So if, if that works... She's going to start to learn that that's just what you do, and she'll oh, end up in college negotiating yeah, her grades. Going, well, I know I didn't do this assignment, but if I do this extra, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Another behavior would be to not set enough limits. Um, just your kids can't do everything, and so if they ask you to play one afternoon, and maybe you're not feeling up to it, it's okay to say no every once in a while. They, I think they need to hear no a lot yeah, more definitely. than they do. And it's again, good. I think that's hard. And it's not only the kids getting to do, you know, the other kids have it, but maybe it's the parents feeling like, well, the other parents do this with their kids. Why can't I do it? But that's, So we yeah, feel guilty. Yeah. But you, they have to learn no every once in a while because that's kind of life has a lot of no's well, to it. Well, it really does set them up to be healthy in life. You guys know I'm a life coach and I deal with a lot of people who are really disappointed that their life has not turned out the way they wanted it to. Yeah. And and most people you ask, has your life gone the way you expected? They say, oh, are you kidding not. me? Yeah. Totally not. <laughs> not even close to what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And, and we're preparing them to be healthier adults if they're used to being disappointed on occasion. Yeah, it's I a, really it's believe a healthy that. thing to deal with. Um, and kind of just the last thing that parents may be doing is just modeling a sense of entitlement themselves. They complain about everyday things or if they feel like they deserve something. And uh, I think Jessica has a few points of like what examples of that. See, because I don't know, maybe I'm entitled too, but I don't know if I have a way to really yeah. measure that. Jessica, tell me how to make sure I'm not an entitled parent setting a bad example for my kids. Yeah. So as I was reading these, all of them were like, nobody does that. But then I was like, okay, I'm going to think of some examples. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll show like there's some exceptions that all of us do. Um, they had a whole list of them. Um, and I'll just go through and we'll see. If, initially, you're all going to say, no, no, I don't do that because that's what I did. 
But then I'm going to give you an example and we'll see if you... Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first one is, it's all right to take others for granted. Obviously, none of us mean to take it others for granted. Um, but then when we when we call and and we've said, okay, uh, you're going to pick me up at this time, and then they're not there, you know, in a way we were going to take them for granted because they were going to be there, and then they weren't and were disappointed. And so in that sense, you know, unless something goes wrong, you know, that you, you assume that they're going to be there. So I think that that's an example of being entitled that we didn't think about. Um, others exist to help me get what I want. Um, with this one, okay, when I was little, my dad, <laughs> my dad, um, said, everybody in this world is robots and you're the only real person. So, <laughs> no. so this world ex- like revolves around you basically. That's a really good thing <laughs> now, to tell your child. Was he teaching you that or was he saying this is the way you're acting? No, he, he was saying that for that real. That's the and way I was, you could see the world? Yeah, just like, <laughs> and that was a huge example of that, which sounds really silly, but I, I don't think he was meaning to make it like everybody revolves around you. I think he was saying like, don't be afraid to ask for. I don't know. There, for what I don't you know want to defend it. It's hard to put that in a good it. light. Saying everyone else are robots. I know, I know, and he said it, and but it actually was really good for me as far as like getting into college because I was able to like be like, okay, well, it's possible for me to get into college because these people, you know, like people want me to go to college, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to get in. You know, I I just read earlier that (laughs) that uh, we're having a narcissistic epidemic that a lot of us are kind of getting to where we think the world is all about us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think and to check and then you you like look at Facebook; it's all about you. We just talked about oh, it's a narcissism factory. Yeah, it is. It's we're constantly advertising ourselves ourselves and how cool we are. Right. I think I'm going to have an identity crisis because what if I'm just a robot? (laughs) You know, I'm, my you purpose are. is Everybody to revolve around is, someone else. Except me. Except Jessica. <laughs> We're all just to serve Jessica. Isn't that funny, though? I, I thought that for the longest time. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't really think. I didn't believe it. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Moving to the next one. <laughs> I have every right to depend on others. And I think um, parents a lot of times are just like, oh, I'll take care of it. I'll make lunch for you. You know, and... And growing up, you you're obviously your parents do take care of everything because when you're a baby, you can't do it by yourself. And then growing up, the mom, I think, I I don't know, I'm not a mom. You well, can... you get to a point where they say, "Can I have a drink?" And they're expecting <laughs> you to bring it, and you say you've got legs and you know yeah. where the kitchen is. <laughs> See, that's good, and I feel like some some people don't make that switch, and they're like, "Oh, I'll get it." I don't know. That switch was really hard for me. I was this exact same way way, but with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches you need a mom to make it for you exactly well i was like mom you make the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches oh, they that just was taste the good manipulation right no, there though maybe, i think maybe, sometimes that's maybe true. It's, just, it's but true i can't it's make true. them as good as you can mom <laughs> really so it was Moms growing have pains touch. having to make my own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches it was that is difficult. a transition though that kids need to make like oh i do have legs i can make a sandwich you know <laughs> well and did you guys go through a stage like my daughter has things she wants to do that involve calling another adult and getting information, and those are things she really wants me to do for her. But she's 15. It's it's time to start yeah. learning how to talk to adults. You call and make yourself an appointment. Yeah, that was a and big one for me, And she looks at me too. like, <laughs> scary. Deer in the headlights. 
I've always been super shy. And so that was one of the biggest moments for me as a kid was when my parents were like, no, you need to order at the restaurant yourself. Yourself. Like you need to look at the menu, choose what you want and order it. Like talk to the waitress yourself. Yeah. And then phone calls too. I was something I'd avoid. And I'd be like, hey, mom, I want to see if this movie is a blockbuster, which those don't exist anymore. So, (laughs) Well, even with like the doctors, like, hey, uh, I might need to go to the doctor. Can you call him up, set up an appointment? Yeah. But that's always been a hard one for me. Now I call people for a job. So, well. yeah, but I really think you're onto something, Jessica. That as parents, we need to start turning over more of that to our kids younger. Mm-hmm. For sure, I think that'll help. Hopefully, those, <laughs> hopefully, those are leading us on the right track. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and we will be back. We've got some really fun things coming up about gratitude through history and travel from our own merit. So we'll be back in just a minute. show this is life coach kim giles sitting in for matt townsend today and merit you've got some really cool ideas here about helping us learn to be more grateful by studying history and understanding more about the world yeah tell me more about that you know it's been kind of interesting and this kind of it's spurred from an article i read earlier i guess it's last year now because the year has changed but yeah, and it appeared in the New York Times, and it um, was talking about a psychologist who did a study on people and their family narratives. So the idea that if you know about your family and your family history and what your family both has believed through history, what they've accomplished, that you will be a better individual, that you'll be more emotionally stable, that you'll feel more confident about the future. Um, and I thought that concept was just absolutely interesting and the study that they did they asked questions like um do you know where your grandparents grew up do you know where your parents spent do you know what your great grandparents names are do you know where your ancestry is from and and so some of these people could really answer those yeah, questions definitely. and knew and others and others definitely couldn't know. and those who knew those types of things had a much better sense of well-being and a much calmer sense of who they were and what they were capable of. And so that's kind of what spurred this whole idea. But um, I also wrote an essay for class the other day that um, got me thinking. And I um, had the chance to go to spend a few months in London a couple of years ago. And as I was, I was writing an essay about that experience. And as I was thinking about that, I remembered a particular experience, which it's not a very action-filled story. I was just sitting in Trafalgar Square in London with a sandwich. Cool place, though, I know, yeah. to hang out. Which, so, yeah, Square. so with my sandwich, <laughs> it was pretty great. So um, I was just sitting there, and I was looking at all of the buildings around me, and I realized that all of them were 100 years old, if not more, if not two or 300 or 400 years old. And I saw all the statues of the great people around me because they have tons of them all around Trafalgar Square. Oh, you think of and all the people that have been there over yeah. all those years. And I years. was thinking about that and I just, it hit me that I couldn't be experiencing this if those people didn't exist. And if, you know, if they hadn't built England the way it was and if they hadn't made those buildings or if, you know, if those people hadn't lived hor- in horrible circumstances. I mean, I had just like learned about the fire of 1666 and how basically everybody in 
London didn't have a home because everything right. was burnt to the ground. And so it just hit me that as I was sitting there that everybody in history has kind of their lives have been leading up to this moment of my life and of the people who I live with. And um, as I've been thinking about that concept and expanding on it, it's just really hit me that the more I learn about history, the more I learn about the people who've gone before me, the more grateful I feel for my life and the way it is. Um, a great example, one of my personal heroes is William Wilberforce. And he um, lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And he um, felt like he was called to abolish the slave trade in England. And he basically went about doing it by himself. He basically wow. gathered people and got it to happen in England and the slave trade was abolished by 1830 and it was a major achievement. I mean, that well, was like way the before its time. One person can one make, person can just decide to do um, something. I've read a lot about him and the ways that he contributed to that. And, um, like a small one, for example, I'm religious. And one of the things that he did, he was also religious was reinstitute, um, not really reinstitute, but institute the practice of family prayer in religions. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And I kind of owe that to him and how grateful I am for that. So it's it's a really neat thing. Well, just you can't to... study history without em embracing the stories and the values that really got those people mm -hmm. through all those times. And and I think when you look at your own family history and, and the values that your grandparents and parents had that made them make the choices that they did – it gives you this heritage of virtues Definitely. that you kind of do feel obligated to carry on your family name in that oh, way. Yeah. yeah. And for example, I come from a string of very strong women who have done amazing things with their life. And so that's something that I, I think about it. I'm like, you know what? My great grandmother, she did this and this and this, and I can do it too. And I'm so grateful that she taught my grandmother and therefore my mother how to do these things because now I can experience it. So it just gives you kind of this wider perspective of everything that's going on in the world and that so many people have contributed to the way you live. And not and not even that, but just people who lived before and the circumstances that they lived in. I mean, just think without electricity, without plumbing, without, <laughs> you know, heated homes and they lived through that and I didn't and I live in comfort and they Everybody that they in that time contributed to the way I live. Um, so it's important with our children that we're sharing those stories, that we're helping them understand what those values definitely. are that run through our family. Yeah. I, I have one similar to that. My grandfather set this amazing example of optimism and faith. And he kind of had this motto every day. He would say to grandma, remember, good things happen to us. And you know what? Lots of good things happen to them all yeah. the time. And we've all grown up watching that and hearing stories about grandpa and saying mm -hmm. that. And we've all adopted it. Yeah. So before my husband leaves from work every day, I say, remember, good things happen to us. Yeah. But that has really shaped the way that I see the world. Uh -huh. Definitely. So teaching about those family stories is really important. Yeah. And then just lastly, I'd love to make a plug for also teaching kids about the world they live in now. Um, my parents went to India a couple of years ago and just kind of um, they were there for a few weeks and just saw the ways that people lived. And they came back and my dad sat me down and he looked at me and he said, you are never allowed to be ungrateful because you don't live in a cardboard shack. Like that's about what he said to me. And he's like, whenever I have a bad day from now on, I'm just going to have to say to myself, 
I don't live in those circumstances. I should be focusing on what I can do for other people who do live in those circumstances. So to just give your children a sense of where they come from and what they believe in and how people have contributed to them and also give them a sense of the world and how privileged they are. And that could probably help making them grateful. That is awesome, Merit. All right, we have to take a break for the news. We'll be back shortly. We've got some amazing guests coming up to talk about exactly how to teach your kids to be grateful. show on BYU Radio XM 143. This is Life Coach Kim Giles sitting in for Matt Townsend today. And we are so honored today to have some amazing guests join us on the show. So I want to take a minute and introduce you to them. Our first guest is Dr. Giacomo Bono, who's an adjunct professor of psychology at California State University at Dominguez Hills has a doctorate in social psychology from Claremont Graduate University. And joining us is Dr. Jeffrey Froh, who's an associate professor at Hofstra University, where he's taught since 2006, who also has a doctorate of psychology in the School of Psychology from St. John's University. Gentlemen, we are so honored to have you on the show with us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I wondered if you could take a minute and tell us a little bit about how this interest in making grateful kids came about? Uh, well, uh, well, Giacomo and I have been, um, you know, studying the development, uh, measurement, and enhancement of gratitude in children and adolescents uh, for the past seven years. And um, our research shows that grateful kids are happier, more generous, um, they have higher grades, more satisfying relationships with their family and friends, um, and that they're also more connected to their neighborhoods and their communities. So rather than keeping those findings to academic journals, we thought it was important to kind of, you know, give the science away to the public um, if we wanted to help, you know, make the world better. So we decided to, um, you know, join forces and, uh, and write Making Grateful Kids to, so we could hopefully show people how they can increase kids' gratitude by using practical, scientifically-based strategies. So the question I really want to ask you guys, what, what do you think contributes to so many kids not not being grateful and and that entitlement attitude that we've been talking about where do you think it comes from yeah there's um well let's see there's there's a couple of big things in my mind um about about how that uh gratitude might be discouraged um because of entitlement and and you know part of that may be the um the commercial environments that young people are growing up in, uh, they encourage uh, sort of immediate uh, fixes and and sort of uh, living, you know, living for uh, you know certain sensations and 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 sort of fleeting pleasures. Uh, and so this this you know tends to be a fast-paced, high-stimulating environment or or dynamic, and kids grow up very comfortable just having instant access to everything. So do we um, see them as kind of spoiled on some level? Well, it certainly could, and that's, what the import, that's why it's so important to bring in a stronger connection with adults, whether it's parents or teachers and other adults who might have the longer-term welfare of the child in mind. 
but it becomes very challenging in a, in a and you know with the electronic and sort of um, you know connected environment that uh, that young people have at every turn. Yeah, it's kind of hard for parents. I mean, I it, it makes me start wondering how much I'm unintentionally, you know, teaching my kids to be ungrateful without realizing that's what we're doing. Well, the, well, the beauty of it is that you know, you know, there are many, many things parents can do, though, you know, to make their kids grateful. Um, and these are some of the things, you know, um, I mean, that, that's what the book is largely based on. You know, is us providing, you know, like I said, these practical, concrete scientifically supported strategies to make kids grateful. Um, you know, one, you know, two of which, two of the big ones that we think anyway, would be modeling it, you know. Um, so that could be done very simply through writing thank you notes to people. And when parents do that, we think it's important for them to let their children know that they're doing it and also explain to them the circumstances surrounding that grateful expression. So why are they writing that thank you note? What did that person do for them? How did that person benefit them? Um, we also think it's extremely important to model for children being generous. Um, and then finally, it's also very important to develop, you know, what we call a grateful linguistic style. So in other words, what we find is that grateful people actually speak differently than their less grateful counterparts. So people who are grateful tend to use words such as blessings, blessed, um, gifts, givers, fortunate, lucky, and abundance um, very often. So again, uh, parents who do these things, who model gratitude in that way, can without a doubt make their kids more grateful. So a lot of it is in our communicating to our kids what we're doing, because we may be sending thank you notes, we may be, you know, giving money to someone who is down on their luck, but we've got to make sure that our kids are in that experience with us, watching us do it, that we're talking about what we're doing and why we're doing it, and, and really making it an intentional thing for us to really make a difference. That's, that's right. We're, we're essentially scaffolding for what, what developmentalists call scaffolding. And so by, by you know, having the language of gratitude and every day and, and encouraging uh, empathy towards, uh, you know, for other people's circumstances, that in a sense is scaffolding um, the importance of, of understanding and help, understanding others and helping them. And I, I, I'd also add that, you know, we, cut, we, we discuss in the book quite a bit uh, just modeling it towards your children as well and, you know, listening to them and showing, that, showing your child that they matter and getting to know their strengths. You know, that is their first exposure uh, to how to be grateful, you know, the relationship between parent and child. So you could also model it in the way you interact with your child and listen to your child. So I, I've noticed this with my kids, you guys, that um, if I am thanking them a lot for everything that they do ar- around our house and to help me out, and and I make a big deal of of letting them see me being grateful to them, that I'm more likely to get that back. And and we, probably we need to start that at a really young age, modeling that. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's definitely right. It has. It's definitely something we encourage um, for parents to do early on. Um, and like Giacomo just said, and you had just said as well, you know, um, saying, you know, expressing thanks to them is definitely the way to go because once again, you're you know, you're modeling it for them. You're showing respect for them. Um, and oftentimes, you know, um, reporters or parents or teachers, you know, that we talk to, this will get brought up, and they'll often say to us, well, why do I have to thank my child for something that he or she should do? You know, I'm the parent. They should just do what I say. 
Um, now, of course, you're, you can do that. That's fine. But in doing so, you're also modeling ingratitude. And that, of course, is not something that we do that we want to do. Oh, wow. Okay, so what do we tell all the parents who are listening today that are thinking, I, I have blown it up to this point. I haven't been modeling this behavior with my kids. Is it too late? Can we, can we turn our kids around and start doing better? What would you say to them? I think, I think uh, that, yeah. I'm sorry, Jack. Take the first stab here. Um, I think the, you know, the, the gratitude is, is something that we can grow. And uh, whether, you know, whether you're an adult uh, or a child, it's, it's, it's never too late. So that, it's important to keep that in mind. It's never too late. We can always uh, change ourselves, can't we? That's right. And, in fact, gratitude, among all the character strengths, uh, gratitude is, is the one that, that is the most malleable. It's, 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 uh, it, essentially, it's an easy habit to pick up. And, uh, and, and we also know that it's one of the, the most strongly linked strengths to happiness, you know, and, and we know that happiness, you know, being uh, satisfied with life and happy with your life is important because that's, you know, that's where uh, you, you have the space to think more creatively and open new doors and, and, and build self-discipline. So uh, gratitude isn't just about feeling good. It's, it is a vital life skill, and, it's, and we know that it can be grown. Yeah, it's, it, I've found as a life coach with, with my clients, anybody who's struggling in any moment has two choices, basically to focus on what's wrong or to focus on what's right in your life. And, and that changes everything with that focus. That's right. It's, it's at the heart of resilience, and uh, and I think that's I think that's something that Jeff and I um, both find exciting about this research. That gratitude isn't just about feeling good, but it literally is about uh, being able to handle stress and be able to uh, to be authentic. And those are those are two things that we we need more in, in this world today, especially young people. So. What would you say to, we were talking earlier on the show about all of our kids that feel entitled to cell phones because all their friends have them and, and that kind of sense of entitlement that they get that, that all these blessings in their life should just show up because they deserve them. What would you say to parents who are struggling with that? Jeff, Jeff do you want me to go or did you want to? Oh, um, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I would say, you know, the, uh, the idea is this. It, it's, about, it's about connecting with, um, with people. So, if, you know, I think, you know, it's natural that, uh, that um, we utilize the, the technologies of our time. And so it's reasonable for, for kids to want to have these gadgets and use them. And, in fact, uh, if it helps them become closer to, uh, to good friends, then, then it's not a bad thing. So it's really about how you use these technologies and, and encouraging more pro-social use of, of, of things. So, you know, what's wrong? There's, it's, a, it's a great idea to text a thank you um, or to acknowledge uh, in a text, you know, um, how, a, how a friend has been helpful to you. And, and those habits would be good for growing gratitude. So they don't necessarily encourage um, entitlement, but they are focusing you on how your life is better because of, of the specific acts that other people have had. So, you know, so it's, it's not just a, uh, a, a, 
um, zero-sum game. It's about being smarter with the technologies and using them to connect in a genuine way with others. And so that's, that's something, you know, you don't have to fight it uh, as much as learn to use it smartly. And it is about knowing who the good friends in your child's life are and, and helping them learn to use those tools to better connect with them. So that's one, one strategy. Wow. Okay. You know, I, this is so fascinating, and I, I want to ask you some more questions about how this works with responsibility, instilling that at the same time. But we have to take a short break. Will you guys just hang on, and we'll come right back? We'd love to hear more from you. Okay. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. We'll be right back. This is Life Coach Kim Giles with you today on the Matt Townsend Show. And joining me is Dr. Giacomo Bono and Dr. Jeffrey Fro, the authors of the amazing new book, Making Grateful Kids. Gentlemen, thanks for sticking with us today. We have so many more questions we want to ask you. And and before the break, we were talking a little bit about the my children feeling a little bit entitled to having these electronics and, and all the gadgets. And, and I... I was telling in the studio earlier that my son hadn't connected with the idea that you don't just buy these gadgets at the store, but you actually have to pay for the service. And and I just wondered how teaching kids responsibility might play into helping them be more grateful for all those things. What's, what's your thoughts on that one? And I guess I should direct that to one of you. Jeffrey, do you want to take this one? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um... There's definitely some research out there that shows, you know, um, that when completing, you know, certain uh, tasks that people end up feeling grateful when they do well, but only when they have that sense of personal responsibility that I somehow have contributed to this positive outcome. So there's definitely no question that, again, you know, helping people feel more responsible for what they're actually doing um, can indeed make them feel more grateful. Yeah, there's there's got to be a connection between the two because I think I'm more grateful for the things that I've had to work hard for. They they matter more to me and I've noticed with my kids if if they pay for a toy, they take care of it in a different way than if I paid for it. Do you know what I mean? Their gratitude right, right, right. for it's different. That that's exactly right. And like you, and like you said, feeling helping them, you know, feel responsible for this for their successes and for their for the outcomes in their lives. And again, not just making them feel, you know, better about it, but, but truly, genuinely having them partake in the very things that they're trying to do in their life, having that, again, take that sense of responsibility for what they're doing. Yeah, just helps encourage appreciation, I think, for the value of things. So let's get into, for a minute, some of the research that you, I want to hear about the research that went into what you've put in this amazing book, and, and some of the studies you, connect, you conducted. Giacomo, do you want to share... A little bit about that with us? Sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, the the research with adults had been, so about just over three years ago, you know, Jeff and I, when when we started planning this book, uh, we realized that uh, the the research base with adults was pretty clear that that gratitude seems to be this incredible behavior, and it's it's easy enough to put in practice. Uh, You know, so is is that also the case with kids? And so, 
um, some of the first so some of the first studies that we we uh, did uh, showed that indeed the the same benefits are there. So we had, um, for example, this one uh, we 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 measured gratitude um, via questionnaire in in adolescence, uh, and and what we found, and we also measured materialism, and um, traditionally there's there's been research showing that uh, materialism and gratitude are like are like uh, water and oil. They just they seem to not mix well, or or they seem to be two different ways of being. And uh, and so we we looked at gratitude and materialism in teenagers, and and we were astonished at at uh, what you know what kind of benefits we found. So um, we found that the kids who were more grateful, they were they were less materialistic, but they also had higher GPAs. They were more interested in um, in their own activities. So, in other words, they, they had more flow. They, they were uh, passionately involved in activities. They lost themselves while doing activities. They had those kinds of enjoyable activities more in their life. They also were less envious of others, and they were more interested in figuring out how they could use their own strengths to help others more. Um, so they were more satisfied with life, and we, just, we, just, we were just astonished at how many benefits gratitude has for kids as well, and it and it also seems to go against uh, the materialism, which is a growing concern. So that was one study that we did early on that um, really showed us gratitude is powerful with kids. So kids just did better all around the more gratitude that they experienced and and lived from. I mean, it helped in every area of their life. Sounds like that's right. Yeah, that's right. So was the the connection with the materialism, did that prove to not be accurate, that just because they had a lot, they were less grateful, or was there a connection there? Well, there uh, there was. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, no, I was going to say there was a a very strong connection between the two. It just happened to be inversely related, you know. So the more grateful kids were, um, the the less materialistic they were, and then vice versa, the more materialistic that these kids were, the less grateful they were as well. Right. I, I've had an opportunity to take my children to some developing countries to do some charity work. And we've been amazed that the kids that had the least were often the happiest that we would meet. And and it was interesting that we material things really don't create happiness. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, right. and the research is, is pretty, pretty strong on that, you know, um, that... Um, a lot, a lot of times what happens is people spend so much you know, time and energy and effort on trying to acquire the right things or to you know, look a certain way or to have a certain kind of status or prestige, and these are all elements of materialism. Um, but the problem with that pursuit is that it doesn't fulfill our, our basic human needs of competency, um, autonomy, and connecting to others. Whereas when you have a, um, a grateful outlook in life, you tend to value more um, affiliation, um, connecting with people, community, and also trying to achieve, achieve a sense of personal growth. Wow. So did anything surprise you in, in the research? Yes. Well, that, and, that, and that's a good question to segue into some of the other um, research that was formative um, and important in the book. Um, so we had some longitudinal research that really started to show that um, 
you know, this was this isn't just a one-shot picture that we were seeing, but uh, it really unfolded over time. Um, and so, one of the some of the uh, surprising findings that that we started making uh, were were longitudinal. So we had this other um, study that showed um, gratitude was that having more gratitude was related to um, helping others more and to a more satisfied life, and that there just seemed to be this upward spiral. So six months later, the kids who were more grateful, six months later, they were also more, more uh, motivated to, to uh, make their community better and to help others. Um, and, and, there was this, and it was, it was vice versa as well. So there's this upward spiral of, of gratitude and generosity uh, and it seems to hold up longitudinally uh, over six months. And then we had another four-year study, um, which, which looked at gratitude uh, naturally over the course of four years among adolescents. And we had some, some surprising findings there, too. Maybe, Jeff, you want to share some of those? Some of the, yeah, some of the, one, the, long, some of the longitudinal findings that were surprising for me anyway um, were that we found that the kids who... Um, naturally increased in gratitude over this four-year period. Um, they also reported uh, having more self-regulation uh, or the ability to emotionally regulate themselves to achieve goals. Um, these kids also reported uh, having more engagement with hobbies and more engagement to their schools, uh, and they also reported having more purpose in life. So what those findings say to me is that, and this is something that Giacomo said earlier, and I think it's a very important point, is that gratitude is not just this positive emotion that makes us feel better, but rather it's a positive emotion that actually makes us do better. It makes us become better people. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it, that there becomes an abundance mentality when, you, when you're embracing gratitude. And so obviously you'd feel more inclined to give because you're living in that abundance where children who are not experiencing gratitude end up in a kind of scarcity mentality and you, you're turned inward so you would serve less, you would probably connect less with other people. That's right. That's right. The, um, you know, so a lot of, a lot of happiness is, is based on our judgments of how we stand compared to others. It's all relative judgment. They call it relative deprivation. You know, so if, you know, like the grass is greener. So we're often making these comparisons and what, what gratitude does is it essentially protects us from, making, from just making these comparisons and feeling like the grass is greener. Uh, it, it, it instead helps focus you on, on the better elements in your life, uh, which if you can just slow down, you would notice. And so gratitude puts us in that habit of, of paying attention to the people who are actually more valuable for us. Um, and and it focuses your attention on how you are loved and accepted, and and that's very important for young people to believe you have something important to offer, and that other people get you and are listening to you, and so all that comes along with gratitude as well. Wow, so there's a, a connection aspect that makes you more prone to connect with other people, and um, I, I I can just I'm I'm feeling that with my kids. I'm noticing too when when the they start the comparison thing. Have you noticed that most of the time we compare ourselves with people who have more than us? And whenever I I find my kids doing that, I remind them if you're going to compare with people who have more, you better also look at all the people that have less. Yeah. 
because you're you always have just as many on both sides. That's right. That's, that's right. a good. That's a good strategy. We we talk about that in the book too. Uh, making sure you're, yeah, because no matter what your lack is, if you really look around, you're going to find a lot of people that have less and opportunities to be grateful. Well, listen, guys, we want to talk to you more. Don't go anywhere. We're going to have to take another short break, and we will be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. show this is life coach kim giles filling in today while matt's on vacation and we are coming back with the amazing dr bono and dr fro you guys we appreciate you being here today the authors of making grateful kids you know on the break i was wanting to ask you are you guys parents yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> you both yeah. are yes so I would love to hear some really practical tips for our listeners on other ideas for helping us be better parents to teach gratitude. And I would love to hear how this has worked in your families and what you're doing with your kids. I think, you know, one, one, of, the, one of the strategies um, that we talk about in the book, and we put it right up front, um, is pretty simply just that the idea that if you want to, you know, make your child grateful, you have to make it a priority. You know, you have to kind of put it up front because um, it definitely does take effort. Um, but, you know, with consistency over time, you will definitely see some major changes. So, uh, for example, um, you know, uh, when I do write uh, thank you letters, and I do that pretty often, I always make sure that my kids, I have a seven-year-old um, son and a three-year-old daughter, I let them know, like I said earlier on the show, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I wasn't quite sure if it was sinking in yet. You know, so uh, the other day we were at a, a Cub Scouting event, and one of the fathers was giving a presentation on um, how to be a fireman and fire safety to the boys. And after the presentation was over, my son runs over to the guy, and he says, you know, hey, Mr. So-and-so, um, I'm going to go home and write you a thank you letter. So in my head, I'm thinking, wow, that's so, you know, how great is that? But I'm like, well, is he really going to do this, you know? So I get home, and as soon as we get home, he gets his construction paper, he gets his crayons, and on the front cover, he simply writes, you know, Dear Mr. Lennon, um, thank you so much for teaching us about fire safety from James. Wow. So, so I, I, for me, that was so wonderful, you know what I mean? And again, yeah, because you, you didn't even tell him to do it. No, no, this is totally on his own. So you um, taught I was, him well. I was well. so proud of him. Yeah, very cool. So the making gratitude a priority, I could see, I mean, we get so busy with just all the routine of life that it's really easy to forget to focus on that. How do I just remember? You have any suggestions for keeping it in the forefront of our mind? Yeah, there's, um, and, and here I'll have to, I'll have to, um, refer to our, our, our mentor, Robert Emmons has great strategies for how in, in his book, thanks, um, but one, one strategy from that book that comes to mind for, for keeping gratitude a priority because your kids are watching uh, is, is just having regular reminders. You know, part of the thing is uh, the, the difficulty in life is that we're, we're constantly moving from one challenge or fire to the next, uh, and we're not as, 
you know, we're not focused on, on the important things as much as we could be. So one, one easy way is to just have regular reminders, you know. Um, you know, you can start, uh, you can start, you know, put it on a list. You know, have a, have a list of people that you need to thank and, or, or uh, people who you're grateful for and put that sticky note up or a picture that reminds you of somebody or something that you're grateful. So just putting these reminders up is helpful. Yeah. You know, I was thinking while I was listening to you, I've been trying to work on slowing down and and kind of just paying attention to my state and being in a place of love. And so I I took a picture with my phone that has those words, slow down, breathe, love, <laughs> gratitude. And it's great because every time my, my phone goes to sleep and about 50 times a day, you pick it up and hit the screen and it comes back to that those four words that would that that's made a big difference to just keep it in the forefront of your mind something like that that's right and it, i mean it doesn't have to just be a post-it note or or, or a picture um you know something material i mean it, it also could just be the the general practice of mindfulness um it, it really is about learning to manage your attention so and and being mindful of the good in your life and the more you do it the more the more you'll find it rewarding and the more you'll do it so um, so mindfulness, practicing mindfulness is also very important, a very important way to, to keep uh, gratitude front and center in, in, in your life and in your families. Yeah, so I love these practical ones of modeling the thank you notes. Um, tell me more about teaching my kids to be generous and how I, what else could I practically do to model that? I think for that, you know, one of the things, you know, Giacomo before mentioned the importance of you know, spending time with your kids and trying to learn their strengths, you know, learn what they're good at. So when we, when we um, you know, try to encourage our kids to be generous, we want to try and have them do things that tap into their strengths, that, that allows them to use what they're already good at. You know, so, um, so for example, um, some of my son's strengths include um, the ability, you know, to love and be loved, um, and so what we do for that is um, our church has this little program uh, called the Peanut Butter and Jelly Gang. And basically you just, you know, everyone sits around, makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, for people who are less fortunate. And um, i got to tell you, he has an absolute blast doing it. And it also, you know, while we're there, and even afterwards when we talk about our experience there and reflect on it, we just gently remind him, you know, hey, buddy, look, we have life really, really good. We're so lucky to have what we have you know, and not everybody does. Um, but that experience is so much more authentic for him because we are, you know, tapping into some of the strengths that he already has. Wow, I like that. And you're helping him see himself as just a generous person. And I, I really think when we help our kids see the, their, their values and, and identify who they are with those values, that's going to really internalize those things as part of who they are for the rest of their life. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's why it's so important to, to uh, essentially, I mean, wh- why do we say, ma- you know, making gratitude a priority in your own life as an adult is, in, is important for, for raising it in your kids? Uh, an- another reason is because it is about understanding how to connect with other people. Um, and And so when... You know, when you listen to your kids and have regular conversations with the the things that they care about, 
you know, and talk with them about these, you know, have these mature conversations, you're learning about what your child's strengths are. So it's, it's in that, it's in these sort of everyday conversations and playtime where you get glimpses of your child's strength, but you could also do it more formally, and we, we encourage in the book to, to actually measure their character strengths through a survey called the Values in Action Inventory, and you could formally measure their strengths. So it really is about uh, getting to know what their strengths are and listening to them and just, and just placing aside you know, the, the, the sort of the busyness of life and making sure that you don't, uh, that you don't cut time, quality time with your kids out so that you can have these conversations and playful interactions and, and opportunities to learn about their strengths. Well, and it's easy to make it a priority now that your research has brought to the forefront of my mind that the benefits of raising grateful kids go way beyond just that they're appreciative. I mean, this is going to, this obviously is affecting long term the quality of their life on every level, relationships and, making gratitude a priority has a big payoff that maybe we didn't realize. That's right. It's, it's, it's something that we often joke about that, uh, you know, gratitude really may well be the uh, most underappreciated virtue. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So give us some more practical tips. What else can I do as a mom to do, to help my kids? Um, sure. so we've, another one that you know, we've, we've we talked a lot about sort of early strategies, the modeling and the listening and getting to know your kids' strengths. But there's also um, there are also older uh, for older kids there are strategies, um, and so one of the one of them, for example, that that we uh, that we and we have a lot of strategies in the book. We have 32 different strategies, but um, another one that 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 uh, is useful to point out here uh, for older kids. Is 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 having um, trying to practice inductive parenting or inductive discipline, and this is when uh, learning to make teachable moments when uh, when your child makes a bad decision and 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 bring and causes some harm to others. Taking that that time to discuss with them, you know how their behavior influenced that other person, and 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 sort of uh, getting them to think to use empathy and to reprocess that behavior so that they understand the reasons why their behavior is wrong and learning to, um, you know, to behave in a way that would be more respectful the next time. So that's, so that's another, another strategy is, is just learning inductive discipline, which is just helping them understand why their behavior was hurtful and providing an alternative, more positive behavior. So we're talking about taking time to do a lot more communicating with our kids about everything they experience, a lot more listening and asking questions and helping them see things in situations they might not have seen. And for a lot of us, maybe we're just not slowing down and really taking that much time to talk to our kids. That's right. That's right. We we talk about that important, and and it'll make your life easier if... if, um, you know, if you can uh, talk about these experiences as your child has them, because that's that's how kids learn is when there are concrete um, experiences that they can relate to and concrete circumstances. You know, so these are things where these are moments when uh, you you know these teachable moments are things that we should always be looking out for. Wow, I I hate we're running out of time. If you guys got to leave the listeners with one last tip, what would it be? 
Uh, my tip would be to very simply try to unplug um, as often as possible, you know, and, and, and the reason being for that is to try and spend, you know, not, you know, not just, again, that quantity of time, but that quality of time. So when you're with your child, really be with your child, you know, listen to everything they say, try and experience them like, like you're seeing them for the first time, remain curious about them forever. Yeah, put you your know? cell phone down. And yeah, put, exactly. Everything. Put it all down. Their attention. Just be with them. So, guys, you've got me very excited about reading your book. Where can listeners find your book? Well, you can pre-order it now on actually on Amazon. Um, so that's one of the sites, and also uh, Templeton Press, uh, the, our publisher. You can get it there. You can also get it on Barnes and Noble as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. This was a fantastic amount of information, and we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. We will be back shortly. The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Life Coach Kim Giles. And I have Mike in the studio with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about all the things kids think they're entitled to and where that line gets cut off, right? Right. You know, it's it's funny because right now the current generation of children and, and teenagers, they're the millennials, and we're just coming from the generation wires, those that were born in 1977 to 1990, or excuse me, 1977 to 1999, and uh, they're kind of catchphrase, or it seems like psychologists like to choose one kind of negative trait for the millennials. It's entitlement, right? But for right. the generation wires, it was uh, self-esteem, you know, that everyone gets a trophy generation. Um Yes, we want everyone to get an A so they won't feel bad that they're not as smart as the other kids, that kind of idea. Yeah, so this is a complicated issue now because we're just coming out of the wires into the gener- or the millennials, and it's kind of combined. You know, mm-hmm. We have these, these, this complicated feeling of, uh, I deserve this. You so know, give I, us an example of where you're seeing it, Mike. Where are you seeing this? It, it's really funny. My, my cousin, I won't say his name, but uh, Joel, my cousin, uh, <laughs> he... Uh, it's really funny when I look back, but he went to his parents and he said, hey, mom, dad, you need to get me a car. I need a car. You should give me a car. And of course, his parents, being good parents, didn't get him a car. But then he came to my father and said, Uncle Greg, you you need to give me a car. I deserve a car. You should give me a car. You know, what makes him think he he should just get a car? You know, it's funny, but that's what we're looking at right now. That's what this generation feels like with with cars, cell phones. So they kind of think mom and dad aren't just responsible to house me and feed me and clothe me, but they're also responsible to give me all the electronic devices, cars, and anything else I want for the rest of my life? Yeah. and Kind of? You know, being here at, at BYU, I'm, I'm a student here, I see that all the time. Uh, parents are paying phone bills for, for their kids who are married. I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I think I know how you feel <laughs> yeah, about that by the look on your face. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, a few years ago, I remember my daughter looking at me and saying, ooh, when I'm 16, you know what car I want? I want, I can't remember what it was, I think it might have been a VW Bug. And I'm really, that's what you want. Well, how are you going to get that? And I think she just kind of did have this idea that when you turn 16, you get a car. 
Well, when you look at what the media is saying, you know, the, we we're on TV. That's how it works. Yeah, MTV Sweet Sixteen, right? They always get this nice, fancy, two hundred thousand dollar BMW. I mean, it's kind of uh, it's. I don't blame them for expecting that kind of stuff. We're, these messages are saying buying stuff makes your life better. You know, having all these things, and your parents are going to give it to you because they want you to be happy. So what's the downside? Because I've heard some of the professors at BYU say that if you want to see the nice cars, they're not in the, they're not in the teacher parking lot. They're out with the kids. And, and we do. We see a lot of kids whose parents are providing all of the stuff. Do you think it's causing damage? What's the problem with it? Oh, yeah. I think it's causing a lot of damage. Um, when you, you look at studies, I spent a, you know, a few hours in my psychology textbook, so now I'm an expert at this topic. But uh, um, we see that bosses – I mean this transfers over into the workplace, this feeling of entitlement. Um, people that are millennials and, and generation wires feel like they, they, they need it all. They need to have high salaries and lots of leisure time. Whereas before, earlier generations were feeling like, oh, I, I'm not being fired. I must be doing a good job. But they constantly need reinforcement in the form of, of emails and awards and balloons and also with uh, free time and salary or time off. Rather. So they need a lot of validation. Yeah. And they expect a lot without working for it more than previous generations, according to Mike. Yes. Well, and psychologists. Well, and one thing that I I feel like is an issue, too, is that just it goes back to the baby boomers, you know, that they really, really had to work for everything they had, you know, because their their parents are, you know, coming away from the Great Depression and such. And so and and so their lives, they didn't have as much in their life as far as material things go. And so they're looking to their kids and looking and saying, I hope that these guys, I want to make it so these guys, my children, have a better life than I did. Make them happier than they were. Exactly. Give them so, more opportunities. Better situation. And so they're, they're going to give their children this because they feel like they were maybe like neglected as a child. You yeah, know, like they, they didn't have much. Exactly. When they were turned 16, they didn't get a car. There was, you know, they even probably were lucky if they got a bicycle when they were 16. You know? and so, but they want for their children... Their child is going to get a so car. So we have good intentions when we sometimes spoil our kids because we do want them to be happy and we want to be able to do things for them. So where do you guys think the line is that we're then damaging them on some level by giving too much? And so they don't learn how to work for things and earn it on their own. I mean, I, I think a car is a place where that starts for me, that my kids, if they want to have a car, they're going to have to have a job. That they're going to have to pay insurance, they're going to have to pay for gas, and probably help buy the car. And and 16, that's a good age to maybe start helping them get ready to be an adult. Yeah, and every situation is different. I, I mean, I'd like to point out that this is not, this is a stereotype. This doesn't fit everything or every child or teenager right now because, I mean, about 20% of kids in the United States are below the poverty line. And another uh, 23% are to consider are considered to live in low income families. So this is not, you know, a blanket statement, but there are those kids out there that feel entitled and uh that's really um it's up to the parent, but there's a problem with the parenting right now, I think, 
stereotypically, you can't. We we want our kids to be happy. We can't say no. And I think also maybe we might feel a little guilty uh, because we don't feel or we're not spending a lot of time with our kids. So we make up for it by buying Buying things. things. Yeah, it's making me realize um, my husband and I divorced when my children were kind of junior high, elementary school age. And had we stayed together, my kids were set to have a lot more money and a different lifestyle. And they ended up instead living with a single mom kind of below the poverty level for a while. And I've thought now that's probably one of the best things that ever happened to them. Because my daughter really? did have to work two jobs you through really high school. You really learned the value of a, jo- a dollar. Yeah. And I know if if the situation had been different, I probably would have provided more and she wouldn't have had those opportunities. And the thing that it's, it, that's interesting, too, is that we're focusing a lot on, like, how this is really harming the, the Gen Y and such and how it's really bad for them to feel entitled to everything. But this even goes back to the parents. Like, it's really harming parents. In, in the book, The Millionaire Next Door, it talks about how – one of the greatest um, things that takes away from parents, you know, their their wealth and their the money that they have is providing for their children after their children have moved out, you know, because, you know, a parent is a really easy person to turn to when you're getting into a, a struggle or you feel like you're getting to that situation. And so they said that, you know, parents really need to learn to, you know, cut their children off, you know, in, in different ways to make them feel, be more independent because it really a- actually harms the parents, you know, in this case financially and probably in other cases as well. It's probably a case-by-case basis when each person it's it's right for you and your family but i think generally you guys are onto something here that's i i think that's really something that that parents need need to consider um just just looking around at my peers and the way that they uh, view themselves and the people around them i think it's hurting it's going to end up hurting society as a whole we need to think about this and and of course you know it's case by case but you do need to take some time and consider you know, what should I be giving and taking away from from my children? All right. I think we agree. So I'll tell you what, guys, um, after the break, we're actually going to come back and we've got an amazing life coach coming on to talk about some other ways to help our kids learn to be kind. You're listening to Kim Giles on the Matt Townsend Show, BYU Radio. Life Coach Kim Giles filling in today while Matt's on vacation, somewhere warm and tropical while we're here freezing. But we're excited on our next, this next segment, we have another special guest. Her name is Patty Pay. She's a certified Clarity Point Life Coach. She's been coaching for over five years. She's also a speaker and kind of a super mom. You guys really super mom. She works with adults and children to gain self-esteem and confidence. Welcome, Patty. You there? Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me on today. What juicy content this has been. This is really fascinating. Good stuff for us moms, hasn't it? I've learned a lot today. I know. I know. Definitely. Well, you know, I... 
when we look at all these different things going on in the environment that our kids are growing up in and how fast everything is in the entitlement, I think it's really important to open this dialogue with our kids and ask them on their level, you know, what, what it means to have gratitude and what does it mean to be kind and what is kindness? I think if we ask them those questions and kind of see where they stand, it will give us a really good baseline of where they're at and their views. And we can start building a really strong foundation based on that. You know, Patty, I was thinking about you when our doctors were advising a lot more talking and listening, because I've watched you as a mom really model that and, and to build a relationship of trust with your kids because you spend a lot of time there. Thank you. Yes, I, I think it's important that we do we do spend that time with our kids. So often we're so busy and we're, we're you know, multitasking and doing all these different things. And we really need to take the time to have that one-on-one communication and dialogue and bring that awareness with our kids. Yeah. And we do that by modeling. I think, as everyone has been saying, it's really important that we start looking at ourselves. We kind of check ourselves and see what we're doing. What are we contributing? How are we living in gratitude? What are we showing our kids? Yeah. Have you seen parents who come with, I'm having this problem with my kid. Can you fix my kid? And you can see pretty quick that what we've got to do is help the parent change behavior because the kid is just learning from you. So they are. There's nothing I want my kids to learn more than to just be kind to each Mm -hmm. other, be kind to people. I think it goes along with the gratitude. Tell me what you think. What what can I do to teach my children kindness? You know, I think it stems, again, modeling the behavior. I think if we can show our kids what kindness looks like, showing how we treat other people, interactions with our friends and people that we don't know, other strangers, just how we treat them. Our kids are watching and they're tuning in and they're absorbing that. And then I think it's really important to involve our kids in different service projects, helping out. Um, In order to do that, I think we need to really take action ourselves, and that will motivate them to get involved when they see that. Yeah, when they see you doing really generous things or acts of random acts of kindness, and and you want to make sure you do those things while your kids are with you so they see it. The the other one I've I've been thinking about is um, not just how I treat people face to face, but how I talk about or treat people behind their backs when they're not there. Oh, absolutely! I think that we oftentimes don't realize that our kids are paying attention, and we we are sometimes casting judgment and we're saying things about people or being critical, and that's kind of setting the mess, sending the message to our kids that. You know, it's okay to, to talk poorly of people and to see them less than us. And that's a, a big thing we need to kind of look at so that we can address that and not and not teach our kids that because they're going to learn by what we're doing. And, of course, their kids, of course, they're going to pay attention to the things that we don't want them <laughs> paying attention to. Yeah, like you got to watch the words you say when you're mad because <laughs> your kids exactly. are definitely paying attention. Um, I think that's a big one. Because I think a lot of us are kind to people to their face, but maybe behind their back we say things that we would never want them to ever hear. But our kids are hearing us have an attitude towards people. And if it's gossiping, 
or putting people down, we're teaching them to s- see other people as less than them. Yeah, absolutely. And then they take that in so many different directions. They internalize it. They they take it to school and treat other people that way. And it really does just kind of carry on. It's toxic. I wonder, do you think that would play into bullying? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely do. I think, you know, that's a whole separate issue as well. But when we we look at some of those kids that are that are bullying, we look at their background and what what going on behind those closed doors and you can see that there might be some things going on where they're not being validated they're not having great examples and then they carry that on and they you know they take it to other kids so I think that definitely is a huge a huge part of bullying yeah in in my coaching practice I spend a lot of time with clients noticing how we tend to see other people as either better than us or worse than us Mm-hmm. And and we just kind of that's innate in our human nature to kind of see people that way, and and it's subconscious. So a lot of times, I, I don't think we're aware that we're we're literally looking for the bad in other people and pointing it out to ourselves so that we feel better because we feel kind right. of superior, and and that's definitely something our children are going to learn to see the bad in people and and treat them as less than them. That's, yeah, that would absolutely. be a scary thing to teach them. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, we. I feel like I have kids and I watch them sometimes get in that mentality where they're into that get, 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 get. And that can play a role in it where we really need to model that we're in it to give and serve and kind of change that perspective for them. Okay, so give me some other tips. What else can I do as a mom to teach my kids kindness? You know, I think that we need to call them out when they're being kind. I think that is a big thing. I think we're very quick to address issues when kids are, you know, behaving poorly or making bad choices. And, yes, we do need to address that. But I do think that we miss opportunities all the time to praise our kids for doing good, for being grateful, for saying thank you, Um, you know, age appropriately. If they're playing softly with the puppy, acknowledge that. If they're... Doing something for a neighbor, acknowledge that. I think we need to to praise them for that. And when you do that, everything kind of shifts. And instead of that constant nagging and negative, they're going to get, oh, you know what? That felt so good when I got things. And I'm going to be more kind and I'm going to do this. And then they start to see how it feels inside when they do those things. And it changes the way that they're feeling. Oh, that is a big one. I I started to notice when my kids were little that I was praising them when they looked good or when they they, you know, hit hit the ball out of the park or they performed really well. And and that maybe I needed to give them more praise for their qualities, you know, being kind and mm-hmm. and those things that are more about who they are than just right. what they do or how they look. I yes, think that's exactly. huge to to catch those good things. So often we, we catch their bad behavior immediately and comment on it. Mm-hmm. We do. You know, and I also think that when we, when we, sometimes we have to lead our kids into doing service and showing them how to help others and serve others. You know, and I had an experience with this big snowstorm that we had a couple weeks ago, and it got really crazy. Lots of snow down here in Utah. And I went out and I was shoveling the driveway. And when I finished, I went over to the neighbors and my sons were outside playing with their friends. And my 10 year old comes over to me and he's like, mom, why are you doing the neighbors? 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, because this would be great if they came home and they didn't have to do this. You know, how awesome would that be? And I'm going to help them out. I'm going to do this act of kindness. Next thing I know, he's got his shovel. And then my other son came over and started helping. And before I knew it, their friends and all of them were helping the neighbors and going down the entire street doing this because they were so excited to help and serve and surprise these people. And when we came inside, when it was all said and done, I'm like, you know, that was so awesome. Thanks for doing that. And they were like, yeah, we feel so good. We feel so happy. It's so cool. And they're not going to know who it was. They're just going to be so excited when they come home. And I had an aha moment because I saw the joy that they felt. They weren't getting anything out of it other than their hearts for rejoicing and feeling happy because they served someone. And that was really big. I think it's important to have our kids experience that so they know how it feels. And then I think they're going to act on it more. Wow. That is a great story. And you're teaching them that kindness is fun. That it brings joy and it makes you feel so good that you want to do more of it. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, we're going to we're going to give more praise, we're going to model the behavior more, make sure that we're not gossiping or, or putting other people down. What mm-hmm. else? Anything else you we, You know, I think we need to also stand up and apologize when we do things wrong or we overreact. And show kindness in that sense and be kind to ourselves. I think that we need to forgive ourselves when we make a mistake and show our kids, you know, that we do make mistakes. This is, this is okay. We're not bad. We're learning. It's a journey. And when we do make those mistakes, I apologize. We've all had those parenting moments where you kind of lost it for a second and you overreacted. And I think it's really important to show kindness and love and go to them and say, hey, you know what? Mom really messed up. I'm I'm so sorry that I got so angry and I apologize and that it wasn't about you. I think we need to instill that in them too so that they can learn to, you know, apologize when they're wrong and have that kindful heart and come from a loving spot. Yeah, I had this happen recently. I kind of overreacted and got freaked out by something. And and about an hour later, I went to my daughter and said, okay, that was all me. I got scared. <laughs> you triggered my fear and I behaved badly. And she's like, yeah, I know. I knew what was <laughs> happening the whole time. <laughs> Our kids are pretty smart. And I, I think that's why it makes them respect us more when we can admit mm-hmm. when we're wrong and that's really right. kind behavior to apologize when you've behaved bad. That's exactly. A really good one. It is. Absolutely. You know, and I think that it's important to go back to that dialogue and have that awareness. I really would encourage people and parents and everyone just to, to discuss it. We have a ritual at dinner time where we go around and we talk about our, our good parts of the day, the bad parts of the day, and things that we're grateful for. And it's become so habitual that we, we do it daily. And when we skip a day, the kids notice and they, they really want that. They want that opportunity to share and talk about it. And so I think you need to be able to bring it into your daily life. Like they were saying earlier, you know, make it a priority. We need to get the dialogue going and incorporate it daily so that we can practice this and our kids can start modeling this and have that gratitude. That is a great idea. So you have everybody go around and talk about their day and and what happened or what they're grateful for? Both. Some of we, both? You know, what what was a good thing that happened today? They answer. What was a bad thing? Because I want I want to open that dialogue and know that, you know, it doesn't just go one way. There's going to be good and bad, and that's okay. 
And then what are you grateful for? What was something that happened today that you're really grateful for? You know, did somebody do something for you? And they share that. And I, I think it teaches them, you know, there are, there are goods and bads. And then we're, there's always something to be grateful for, no matter what happens. Wow, that is a great idea. I I have thought about one other. Um, we've been talking today about how jealous we are that Matt is out enjoying vacation on a cruise <laughs> while we're here in the cold. And uh, jealousy is something that shows up with, with my kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, when they see other people getting things they don't have. And, and we've been talking about being grateful. But also, I, I think it's part of kindness to celebrate wins for other people, to be happy oh. for them. And I think that's a tricky one to teach kids. What do you think of that idea? I think it's really tricky, and it comes up all the time. In fact, I'll share one more story if I can. My son, when I told him I was doing this today, I, I said, hey, you know, Grandma's going to pick you up. I've got this obligation today. And he rolled his eyes. I mean, he goes, you're going to be on the radio. I've been on the radio. <laughs> and I sat there, and I was like, oh, wow. This is a moment, an opportunity for me to teach, and I think we need to recognize those teaching opportunities. And I explained to him, you know, hey, that wasn't the kindest thing to say, and that was kind of hurtful. And it's okay to be excited for other people and to celebrate things that they're excited about. It doesn't mean that you're not important. It doesn't mean that you're less of a person. But we need to celebrate and acknowledge it because it's something I'm excited about, and you need to celebrate with me. Learn to celebrate with me. And Instead of one-upping people, exactly. huh? Yeah, it was really kind of funny. But I do think that's a, another area that we need to work on. And use it as a teaching opportunity. Rather than getting angry and upset, I think we need to teach those principles. And that one's we definitely got to teach by example because if we're jealous of the neighbor's boat that we don't have and and we gripe about that out loud and our kids hear it, we're definitely teaching jealousy instead of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you about one other. I grew up in a home with a parent that was a teaser. I mean, my dad was a merciless teaser to the point of having me in tears quite often. And and in some ways, I, I don't think that was a good thing. He used to say he's trying to make me tough by teasing me a lot. So I'll be, be able to handle it out in the cold, hard world. But what would you say about parents that tease is that a good idea or is that not a good idea you know i my opinion on it is that it's probably not the best idea um i believe that at home especially we need to have a safe environment and oftentimes when kids do start teasing each other or we start teasing we can be you know subconsciously kind of doing these these jabs at each other and not being very kind because there's other things bugging and so we use that as our out to get back at them so i think it's important to you talk about that and teach your kids that when you do tease and you do do those things, it can be hurtful and it can be really hurting somebody's spirit and kind of crushing them. And, you know, when they're teased, how does, how does it feel? What are they, what are they experiencing? You know, and a lot of the time they'll say, you know, I don't feel very good when I get teased. And so putting it into their perspective and down to their level, okay, well then if, if it's not feeling good to tease, then don't tease your brother. Don't, don't pick on him because it doesn't feel good. And you're not getting anything out of it, but making him feel sad. And it's not making you feel that much better. Yeah. I think it's definitely something to look at. I think we start looking at humor and and comedy in a way of putting people down. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we see it on TV and we all laugh. 
at people who are the butt of a joke, but I definitely don't want my kids to be sarcastic and and to joke in any way that would hurt others' feelings. Right, right. And again, I think that's something that stems from the home environment and from the parents. We need to be careful what we say. They're watching everything and listening and absorbing everything that we say and do. Awesome. Well, Patty, this has been great today. I so appreciate you taking time. How how can people find out more about you? Thank you so much. It's been so fun to be on. You can visit my website at pattypay.com. It's P-A-T-T-I-P-E-A-Y.com and get some information there. You've got lots of resources for people there. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. show and we're ending the show today with another one of jessica's amazing games it's party time (laughs) all right let's do it okay so we just talked about negotiating right um with teens kids trying to get what they want right mom and dad right okay so um i thought what better way to end the show with kind of switching roles we're gonna pretend that you are the kid and i'm the adult which total switch roles and we're gonna play deal or no deal today yeah we're setting the mood with the music okay so uh if you haven't played deal or no deal before you have 26 cases and you have a chance of winning a million dollars today, oh Kim. Oh, my gosh. I I'm hope so you're excited. ready. <laughs> now, our listeners can't see that I'm looking at a screen that has all the briefcases. Right, right. Okay. So I'll be very descriptive as we go through the game so everyone's involved. So, first of all, you're going to have to choose your case. Hopefully, you choose the one with the million. You have one through 26. Which one? I will choose 14. She chooses 14. Okay, now you have six briefcases to open and then we'll give you an offer so okay so just pick six numbers yes so let's do three three which has a value of four hundred dollars okay number six number six has oh three hundred thousand dollars oh that was one of the big ones okay uh, 25. 25. Let's see what 25 has. Oh, good. That was uh, $300. Okay, get rid of those low ones. Yeah. And let's do 13. 13. Oh, that was the million dollars. Oh. See, I always <laughs> lose these games on that challenge show. So you still have two briefcases. I can still win a little money. The million is off, but that's okay. Okay. It's 750. Let's do nine. Okay, nine. Briefcase and I, oh, ouch, $750,000 gone. Okay, one more briefcase. All right, let's do four. Four. All right, $10,000. So she has $500,000 at the top, and uh, let's hear from the banker. All right, I guess I'm the banker. Yes. And I am going to offer you $21,700. Deal or no deal? It's pretty low. You could get $500,000. 
Yeah, deal or no deal? No deal. No deal. Especially if I'm the kid and I see that money. <laughs> That's and right. I'm extremely unrealistically optimistic no that everything deal. will go my way. <laughs> okay, great. Now you have five cases to open. You have a chance of $500,000 now. All right, let's do number one. Number one. Oh, it has $25,000. Not the worst thing. You're doing okay. Okay, All four right. more cases. 22. 22. Oh, two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, you are looking really heavy on the on the yeah, high side here. I am. <laughs> Try and get bad. that penny off or something. All right, five. All right, case five. Okay, one thousand. That's pretty good. Okay, that's, pretty that's good. better. One more. All right, seven. Case seven. Oh, good. That was fifty dollars. Okay, good. <laughs> so good. we're good there. One and more. Let's do seventeen. Seventeen. That was, what was that? $750. So you're still looking okay. really heavy on the one side. All right, let's hear from the banker, see what he has to say. The banker is back, and my offer this time is $25,634. Deal or oh, no deal? Oh, a little bit better than the last not one. Not much, though. You're not getting very lucky. Not much. <laughs> I'm still seeing no deal. No deal. We're going for the 500000 She's not quitting at anything. Okay, four briefcases I'm left. a teenager who thinks the world is just going to entitle me to this. Yes. So You, sh- you deserve the 500000 <laughs> so 11. Let's go to case 11. Oh, that's really good. She got $75 off the board. All right. Let's do 26. Okay. Case 26. Oh, 100,000. I don't know if that you can afford that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, 15. 15. Oh, and the 5,000 is gone. She now has... Four of the big prices, 50000 75000 400000 and 500000 and the rest is just on the low end. All so right, we got to hurry. Okay, number two. Two, 100000 Good. Banker? My- All right, Banker's back. This time, a little lower, 20515 Getting lower and lower. Deal or no deal? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is when you start getting scared. I'm thinking I take the money. All right. It's a deal. She's taking the deal. I'm taking the deal. Who knows what she would have got. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining us today on the Matt Townsend Show. We will see you tomorrow. BYU Radio. BYU Radio.